we tend to judge things in a negative manner and then we hold on to those judgments and particularly when it comes to ourselves we are our own most harsh critic if we want to get into a happier place and experience more peace we need to have a practice to focus on the present moment non-judgmentally hi everyone and welcome to superwoman wellness i'm dr taz i've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women and restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness. And you know, we're determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. We've talked a lot over the episodes about anxiety and stress and superwoman syndrome. In fact, the show's name was born from that, to be quite honest. But it's very real and it's real for all professionals. It's real for so many different people out there. But I have a really special guest today to help us talk about this. So we have Dr. Greg Hammer. Dr. Hammer is a professor of Stanford University School of Medicine. He's a pediatric intensivist and anesthesiologist and a mindfulness expert. And yes, those all go together. He's the author of Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. I am so excited to have you on. You've done so much great work. I'm looking at this bio, but I want to jump more into your story and how as a physician, right, you became interested in mindfulness and the idea of happiness amongst healthcare professionals, what you saw there that encouraged you to kind of move in that direction. Well, first of all, it's wonderful to be with you, Taz. Thank so you. I'm appreciative of the opportunity. Uh, the reason I actually wrote the book is that, uh, you know, the the prevalence incidence of burnout in medicine has been increasing for some time. In 2011, uh, there was a joint project between the university and the hospital to dedicate a program to wellness. And so the WellMD program was formed in 2011, and I jumped on that. And then uh, some point... Few years later, I was asked to give a talk at a at a national hospital administrators meeting because burnout was certainly getting on their radar as well. And then I was asked to give another talk and another talk. And then I had some sabbatical time, and I decided, well, how can I get the message out even more? So I decided to write the book. But I've always, uh, in my entire adult life, been interested in wellness in its fullest meaning. My undergraduate degrees in nutritional biochemistry. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've incorporated nutrition in my ICU practice quite a lot because we do unfortunately tend to starve our sick patients. And uh, I've been an exercise enthusiast my whole life. So I, you know, I've always been very interested in wellness and I've just been diving more and more deeply, uh, you know, for the last 20 or 30 years. I think that's fascinating. Fun fact, this whole integrative holistic medicine world for me was a complete accident. I actually was supposed to do a fellowship in uh, pediatric intensive care. That's what I was supposed to go and go and do. And life took a little bit of a different turn. So uh, it's so funny to, to hear your interest in the field too. Was there a personal experience that brought you into it? Or is it more kind of observing what's happening around you with healthcare professionals and just professionals in general, I think, you know, quite honestly. Um, you do you mean a personal experience with regard to wellness? Yes. And, yes. Yeah. 
Uh, not really, although I have to say that, you know, subsequent to my being involved with the WellMD program, I have experienced signs of burnout too. I think that I would even say the majority of physicians and other healthcare workers, not just doctors, but nurses, respiratory therapists, others have experienced burnout to a varying degree over time. And, you know, burnout is a syndrome related to chronic stress, whereby we are emotionally and physically exhausted. And, uh, you know, who among us hasn't experienced this? You know, some of the signs are, well, you know, at the end of a very long day in the hospital or in, in, in clinic or in your office, you might get a little bit irritable. And then you find maybe that that starts happening earlier and earlier in the day. And so something might be triggering even in the morning. And we find that we're a little bit short with others and just getting irritated and depersonalizing and experiencing many of the signs of burnout. And so, uh, you know, that's certainly something that I have experienced. So I'm, I'm extremely sensitive to it, what the signs are and extremely empathetic and compassionate to those who are really experiencing exhaustion in these ways. Hi, it's Dr. Taz here. All right, let's be real. We're going to be honest for a second. It's all about the hair, right? At least that's what I was told by my mother and my mother-in-law when I was losing my hair rapidly. Look, hair loss is real. It's an epidemic. So many women are suffering from it today and it can knock out your self-esteem in about five seconds. I've been there getting dressed with the lights off, not wanting to go out, even when I was only in my 20s. Lush Locks is my formula in my product line, the East-West Way, which really addresses hair loss by merging together Eastern and Western medicine, true to the East-West Way philosophy. In Lush Locks, there are methylated B vitamins, magnesium, iron, all of which has been shown to promote healthy hair. But the key is that this particular patented formula also contains the Ayurvedic herbs Amla, which have been shown to help regrow hair, improve blood flow to the scalp, and the Chinese herb fo tea, which has been used for centuries in Chinese medicine for hair regeneration and hair regrowth. By putting all of these together with additional micronutrients, Lush Locks is the one supplement I can't live without. In fact, I would take it with me if I was stranded on an island. It works beautifully to help regenerate and regrow hair and prevent further hair loss. I encourage all of you to give Lush Locks a try. In fact, just this month, if you go to theeastwestway.com, type in the code SWW30, you'll get 30% off your purchase of Lush Locks. That includes the supplement along with the shampoo and conditioner that's also a part of my hair loss line. Look, hair loss is real. It impacts us all. It doesn't have to be that way. Try out Lush Locks, use your code, and don't forget, If you rate and review any episode of the podcast and email me at hello at drtaz.com, I'll send you a free bottle of Lush Locks or Boost. You get to choose. Just make sure you email me and we'll take it from there. So if someone, you know, is listening and, and they're like, well, I might be experiencing burnout currently you know, what would you say to them? Like, what is, what are their first few steps? You know, what, here's what I've noticed in talking to patients and also colleagues is there's a lot of like all or nothing, right? It's like, I'm going to power through. I'm going to power through. I'm going to, I'm going to make it through the day. I'm going to make it through this month. I'm just trying to get over there to like whatever retirement is like, they all have these benchmarks 
but in the process, you're you're watching them, right? And they are unraveling and they're unraveling in different ways, right? Either they're unraveling, as you're saying, just in how they speak to other people or they're hurting their relationships or they're engaging in behaviors that are harmful to themselves, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, you know, how do we prevent like this all or nothing sort of mindset around burnout, you know, and how do we help people identify it a little bit better and then be able to almost be like, okay, wait, here's what I need to do next. Great question. I would say, first of all, let's broaden the discussion to everybody. This is certainly not something that's limited to healthcare. I think that life itself is stressful. We ask ourselves questions that stress us out. You know, what is my purpose? You know, am I going to get sick? You know, am I going to suffer before I die? You know, we all have these questions, not to mention all the day-to-day stuff that's stressful. So I, I think we can broaden the conversation to everybody who may be listening. I think that one has to have a plan because our minds are, our brains are wired in ways that seem to predispose us to burnout and apparently veil our ability to be happy. And happiness is the one thing that all, I guess now nearly 8 billion of us on the planet want. Mm -hmm. And what interferes with that with regard to our brain function is that we all tend to have a negativity bias. We tend to hold on to and remember the negative and forget about the positive. I read uh, something in a psychology publication uh, wherein it was indicated that 80% of our thoughts are negative, Hmm. 20% of our thoughts are positive. And I, I think that's that resonates. You know, we may wake up in the morning with a little bit of a sore joint, you know, maybe my knee is a little bit sore. I went hiking yesterday and we fixate on that. So we're thinking of this negative thing could be a lot of other negative thoughts just from the time we get out of bed, instead of being amazed and grateful at all of the wonderful ways our bodies are functioning almost perfectly. And and you know, as well as I do, what a miracle that is. Yes. Yes. It's a miracle that our kidneys are working, that they're filtering our blood, that they're, you know, excreting these, you know, potentially toxic molecules and, and we can get up and, and go into the bathroom and, release all that. And it works perfectly. You know, that in itself is a miracle. And so many other things are miraculous, yet we focus on that stiff back or sore knee. The other way our minds work, our brains work, and the way they're hardwired is to be very fixated on the past and future and have a hard time staying focused on the present. And the present is really where happiness lives. And I love Dr. John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness. And I think it's a definition of happiness. And that is awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. There's some really important concepts there. Awareness of the present moment brings us happiness and peace on purpose. And again, the on purpose is because if we're not intentional, we lapse into these old ways of thinking with negativity and and distraction um, and inability to be present. And finally, the non-judgmentally because when you know we're very judgmental, <laughs> right. that's the end right. gain, which is my the the practice that I embrace and teach. Gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are the pillars of happiness and and mm-hmm. the acronym gain. The N is for non-judgment because we're always judging everything around us, other people, and in particular ourselves. And because we have this negativity bias, we tend to judge things in a negative manner. And then we hold on to those judgments. And particularly when it comes to ourselves, we are our own most harsh critic. Yes. Everybody knows that. Yeah. 
So if we want to get into a happier place and experience more peace, we need to have a practice to focus on the present moment, be aware of the present moment on purpose. That's our plan non-judgmentally. So we have to have a plan and, and, you know, we can dive deeper into that. Yeah. I mean, I'm super curious. I mean, can we rewire this negativity bias? Can we quiet it down? I mean, has science shown that that's possible? It feels like for a lot of people, I think they're like, okay, let me try to meditate, but that almost reinforces the negativity bias because they find their minds like racing back into that negative space. Right. So how do we help, you know, how do any of us like pull out of that and then kind of continue to stay in this rhythm of, of gain. So, you know, as you say it, like staying positive and staying kind of in alignment. Well, a lot of people think that meditation, which I think is, is a very important practice means we have to sit still for 30 minutes, right. possibly in an uncomfortable position, not scratching an itch and that we have to ban all thoughts from our brains and nobody can do that. So they've tried it and failed, they've put it aside, or maybe they're just too intimidated to get started. So that's not the case. And so the gain method is a three minute meditation that we do in the morning. Um, To your question about, can we rewire our brains? The answer is absolutely yes. And that's what the gain meditation is. It's a baby step by baby step way of rewiring our brains because our brains have this amazing quality as you know, called neuroplasticity. That means it can be rewired. So I'll refer to a very simple and wonderful study that has been, uh, I'm not sure it's still going on, but I think it might be at Duke University. It's called Mm -hmm. Three Good Things. And the essence of it is that you can sign up to participate online and you pledge to think of three good things that happened during the day before you go to sleep. Ideally, you would write them down. You know, you Mm -hmm. would, you would have a three good things journal. And then there's an interactive component to it where you're, you know, submitting information online and you're taking a quality of life survey sequentially. And what the investigators have found, and these are PhDs, very smart people who are very good at at analyzing data, is that in general, people who simply think of three good things that happen during the day before they go to sleep become happier. Mm. So this is a great example of rewiring the brain simply by doing something that actually takes no time. You can do it while you're, you know, turning down the the bed covers at night before you get into bed, just thinking of three good things. So for me, I know I've already had a lovely walk with my dog this morning. Mm -hmm. My conversation and connection with you will be on my list. Yay. Awesome. And, uh, you know, all I need is one more good thing to happen right. today. And, and sure. there are my three good things. So that's a Not great that sun circle. behind you. That's your third good thing. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so grateful every day for my, my circumstances. But yes, so, so this is a great example of a very simple, really non-time-consuming practice that will help us rewire our brains. And so, again, we have to have a plan. We have to be intentional. The I and gain is intention. And the good news is we have brains that have neuroplasticity and we can rewire our brains. You know, we have to recognize that they've been wired the way they are over tens of thousands of years of evolution. Why are we so wary? You know, for example, maybe 75,000 years ago, our forebears were in a cave, caring for their children, keeping a fire going. And they had to be wary. They had to be worried about that there might be a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the cave, right. outside right. the cave. So, you know, it it paid to be wary, to be negative, to be 
suspicious to catastrophize because it led to a longer life. And therefore, the genes that code for these patterns of thinking were propagated in the population. And here we are today. But for most of us, there's no longer that kind of threat. We don't have a saber-toothed tiger lurking at the mouth of the cave. And yet, this is how our brains think. We are overly distracted with the future and with our negativity bias. We think of the worst thing that can happen. We catastrophize. We generate a lot of fear and anxiety. So this is the way we think, but we can change it. It's not going to happen overnight. But you know, like everything else, it's a journey, right? It's a process. Life itself is a process. There's really no destination. It's such a good point. You know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody and, and they brought up a really good point. If you think about our profession as physicians, or if you think about, you know, many of the successful professionals, business people, even celebrities that I've made, you are still rewarded today for living in the future, to be honest, right? Like you've got to make that A or you have to pass your boards or you have to get, you know, whatever spot you have to publish that research or you have to make X amount by quarter two. You know, they're all these like benchmarks. They're all in the future. You know, they're none of them are really in the present. So we're still kind of playing that game. And my brother-in-law, who is who was a refugee from from Bosnia, brought this point up and he's like, you know, he goes, it's a luxury to be able to step outside of this sort of negative thinking and be able to now have the time to change and rewire our brain. He goes, because I have been negative because I did have to look over my shoulder to see what's going on and to how, how I'm going to succeed. So I would say it's not even ancestral. It's more, it's happening today. It's like in our present that we still success is determined almost by how much fear we have. And it's only when we crash and burn or have a health crisis or something implodes, right? That we are forced to pull back and be like, okay, wait a minute. Like, how, how do I change what's happened? Do you see a way of intervening earlier? Like someone going in this journey, if I was your med student, you know, or, you know, or if you were talking to my brother-in-law in the midst of his stuff, like what could he have done? Like in those inflection points of his life, right? Which are incredibly stressful and you're not established and you do have to kind of future think to just kind of get through whatever you're doing. You know, what would, what would he look out for and what could he do, you know, to sort of, to make sure he doesn't just crash and burn and, and engage in destructive behaviors? Great question. Well, I agree with everything you said. The key is to be at peace and mindful and consider to what extent these thoughts are adaptive versus maladaptive. So with regard to the future, yes, I have to pass my boards. Yes, I have to get an A. I want to get into a good school. I want to get into medical school, what have you. So there are lots of things on our minds that we have to plan for, and we need to determine what is adaptive and what is maladaptive. So, you know, make a list of things you have to do, make a list of things you have to worry about. And then as soon as you recognize that your thoughts are becoming maladaptive, redirect them back to the present. And this again, is just one baby step toward rewiring the brain. So yes, I have to get an A. So I'm going to spend a certain amount of time doing my homework. Right. And then I'm going to forget about the grade. I'm going to forget about what's happening, you know, down the line. Uh, you know, what college I'm going to get into. Am I going to get into medical school? That's maladaptive thinking when we Uh, wring our hands, when we worry about that. So decide what we need to think about, what we need to do right now, and then 
tuck that thought in and put it aside. And the same with the past. You know, we not only think about the future incessantly, and we're not thinking about the future, we're thinking about the past, right? We're equally obsessed yeah. with the past. And, you know, it's adaptive to think of our good memories, you know, loving times with people that we're close to in our life. It's adaptive to reflect on good times that we've had, but it's maladaptive to stress about the past. And what happens is with our negativity bias and our obsession with the past, our overthinking of the past, we generate a lot of negative ideations mm -hmm. and a lot of shame and regret. We regret things we said or did or didn't do. And again, we are our own most harsh critic. So we obsess over things we, you know, did wrong or or didn't do right. And we, you know, we blame ourselves, we generate a lot of low self esteem. And this leads to depression. So overthinking the past with our negativity leads to depression and overthinking the future with our catastrophizing leads to anxiety. Yeah, and anxiety and depression are two of the biggest problems we face. I think almost all of us, if not all of us are saddled with these things to some degree. So it takes a plan, we have to sort of sit and think it's like, the, I, I love the serenity prayer, we have to discern yeah. between what we can change and what we cannot change. So with regard to our thoughts, we can generalize that we have to discern what is adaptive, and what is maladaptive. And, you know, we all know people who are have maybe not mastered that, but they're pretty good at it. And we call them pragmatists. Mm -hmm. They're very mm -hmm. practical. They're pragmatic. They tend to be more optimistic and they decide, okay, what do I have to do to get this done? I have to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to discern that those are out of my control. So I'm going to put those thoughts aside. So again, we have to be proactive. We have to have intention. Mm -hmm. Again, I love Dr. Kabat-Zinn's expression, oh, yes. awareness of the present moment on purpose. We have to be purposeful. I love that because I think there's so much talk right now, right? In the wellness community about the many different tools. And some of them are just simply intention and awareness. And I love that you call attention to that. Hi there, superstars. I have an exciting announcement. My new book, The Hormone Shift, Balance Your Body Through Midlife and Menopause is out this October and is available for pre-order right now wherever books are sold. Most women, let's be honest, have been led to believe that entering midlife means existing at the complete mercy of her mysterious hormones for the next decade. When we take our concerns to our doctors, we're told that our debilitating symptoms are normal or we're fine or it's in our head. I'm here to tell you that fine is not good enough. I want women to thrive through every life stage. So I've devised a hormone reset plan that blends the best of Eastern and Western medicine together to bring your body back into balance, minimize unwanted symptoms, and have you feeling like yourself again. It's not you, it's your hormones. Are you ready to thrive? Go to prh.com backslash the hormone shift to pre-order your copy right now. I think you mentioned too, um, I think I might've seen in your book or your notes, the importance of sleep and nutrition and getting outside. Where do those play into burnout and burnout syndrome in general? And what's your advice to our listeners and our viewers? Right. So sleep, exercise, and nutrition are the three legs of the tripod that support our physical well-being. And if we don't attend to those, it's going to be hard to be happy no matter how 
grateful, accepting, intentional, and non-judgmental we are, right? So again, we have to be purposeful. Our, our, our true nature is not necessarily to focus on our sleep, our exercise, and our nutrition. So we need to have good sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big, there's a long list of things, most of which are intuitive. Caffeine, for example, caffeine has a very long half-life of five or six hours. So that blood level you get from that morning jolt of coffee, half of that is with you in the early afternoon and a quarter of it is with you in the evening. So if you have a cup in the afternoon, half of it's with you in the evening and a quarter of it is with you when you're trying to sleep. And if you're sensitive to caffeine like I am, that's not going to help your sleep. So I stopped drinking coffee after, you know, my morning cup. You know, there's a whole lot of elements of sleep hygiene that, that most of us are somewhat aware of. The same thing about exercise, you know, exercise is vital to us, especially as we get older. And so we need to have a plan. We need to be purposeful. We need to have an exercise regimen. And so, you know, again, some is better than none. Get out and walk around the block, you know, every hour or so, uh, if you're working at home, take five minutes to stretch, to, you know, go for a quick walk, what have you. And then maybe every three or four hours, take a half hour and and go for a walk or or get some exercise. And then of course, nutrition, you know, simple principles, move toward a more plant-based diet, avoid refined foods that come in a can, avoid a lot of sugar and sugar-like products like corn syrup and so on. So, you know, there's plenty of resources where people can learn about good sleep, exercise, and nutrition habits, but we have to take care of our bodies. Otherwise, we're going to feel sluggish. We're going to be distracted by the fact that we're 10 or 15 pounds overweight and we feel really out of shape and deconditioned. So we do have to have that as part of our plan is taking care of those three things. And then we can focus again on rewiring our brains so that we think uh, in a more present oriented fashion when adaptive and more positive. And that's what the gain practice is. I love that. I'm curious, men versus women burn out higher in one group than another or not necessarily? Well, I think it might be in, you know, we look in medicine, for example, I think actually things are a little bit more challenging for women because they are generally the primary, you know, cares for their children and um, not in every case, but just in general. So I think uh, as far as, especially in academic medicine, you know, advancing, Mm -hmm getting promoted, you know, doing research, writing papers, all that when you have kids for whom you're primarily responsible. So I think women who have young children, I think maybe they're slightly more predisposed to burnout than men, but you know, it's quite prevalent across the board, unfortunately. Yeah. I think I see it. I see it everywhere and, and I see the extremes, but I'm hoping everybody watching and listening can catch it early and hopefully use some of these simple, these are simple tools, right? This is not making an appointment or having to run around town, you know, to go somewhere. These are super simple things that hopefully are checks and balances to prevent kind of the crash that so many people I think experience in medicine, out of medicine, in fortune 500 companies, like you named the profession. I think, I think it exists. Now, if anyone watching and listening today wants to learn more about gain and your work and all of this around burnout, what's a good way for them to get a hold of you? Well, Taz, the best way is probably to go to my website, greghammermd.com, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D, all lowercase.com. And uh, I'd like to say that I'm writing a book now about teenagers. It's called A Mindful Teen. (laughs) So when you say start early, coming out exactly. When you say start early, parents can model 
mindfulness processes for their kids. So that's how I would advocate starting early. You got to you got to have it from your from your parents and teachers and others. No, and I do think it's slowly becoming a part of some of the schools and some of what they're teaching, which is great. But I have two teenagers. I have a 14 and 15 year old. So, you know, they learn some from me and journaling and meditation is a part of their routine, but kids are stressed nowadays and mental health among children is is definitely an issue. So I think the earlier we can teach our children this and model it, like you're saying, ourselves, the better. And I think it's important for the entire family unit too, which is also highly stressed. So, but thank you so much for taking time out to join us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Taz. Anytime. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And for everybody else watching and listening to this episode, don't forget to rate and review it. You can share it with your friends. I really feel like this is an important message, guys. We are seeing everyone, all ages, really suffering from anxiety and mental health issues. And the more we can do to really, again, it doesn't have to be a fancy wellness plan. Little things matter. And Dr. Hammer's approach is an example of that. I'll see you guys next time.